opportunity to come before your throne of grace. We will find mercy and we will find grace to help us in our time of need always. And we need you always. So we are thankful, Lord, for the way that you uh, heal us, save us, deliver us. You do everything. You do all things well, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that if we can just touch you, and we can, we are made whole. So we thank you, Lord, for wholeness, soundness, for every good thing that you bring into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, 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 and amen. So um, I, I thought I'd talk today about God's amazing love. Amen. God's amazing love. Uh, because it is amazing. It amazes us so much that sometimes we just kind of stagger in unbelief at some of the things that God has promised us, some of the things that he will do for us, uh, that he, <clears throat> and some of the things that he has done, you know. Uh, I think about, you know, some of the old catchphrases we use, we say about God, he's brought me a mighty long way, and, uh, and that is true. Uh, it, the first day you were saved, you were brought a mighty long way way amen we're we're not just talking about years of following christ but uh, you he brought you from death into life that's a mighty long way amen uh, in fact it's a miracle that we can still be alive and uh and flourishing and growing in in our spirit man you know that that we have many years of growth to look forward to no matter what you what age you are when you come into God's kingdom and so uh, these are miracle occurrences that we live in the truth of every single day uh, every day that you wake up you wake up as a miracle Amen. And we need to understand that because it was because of his great love for us that we became miracle people. Amen. We are no longer merely human beings, but we are God people walking the face of the earth. We're not the same as we were. We're a whole new species. So you have no past. All you have is a present and a future. Isn't that wonderful? There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's nothing to live down. There's nothing to uh, be fearful of uh, because you're a person who's never existed before. Everybody who is in Christ, the Bible says, is a new creation, a new type of species of being, which means that you are part human and part God. Amen. All in one package. Amen. So this is a different type of creation. It's different from from the man that God created in the garden. When he created Adam, uh, Adam was what we call innocent. He had no knowledge of sin. Amen. So he was created innocent. We're not innocent anymore. Amen. We're better. We're redeemed. So we're purchased out of the weakness of innocence. You can only be innocent one time. After you touch sin, you're, you're fallen. And so innocence has in it a weakness. Come on now. You're innocent until you do something that goes across the law. So God knew they were going to grow across the law. So he he took that innocent man that had fallen and 
impacted him and put his spirit within him and made him a new creation species. So he's not just just the same Adam and was born again. He's Adam and the fact that he's born again made him a new species. It's not it's not just the same old guy that we used to be. Uh, there's some goofy song that people sing. I, you know, I really dislike this song very much because <laughs> it cheapens what the blood of Jesus did. That one, uh, we fall down, but we get up. A saint is just a sinner who fell down and got. Are you kidding me? I'm a sinner who fell down and got up on my own power. I'm still a sinner. Why are you cheapening what Christ did? Maybe that was your experience in your life. In the church, hiding from the truth, pretending to be saved. See, you indict yourself sometimes and put it way out there for everybody to see. No, we're new creation species. Old things are passed away. I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm a new creation being. Old things are passed away. That means, you know, when somebody passes away, you don't see them anymore. They go buried in the dirt and they're gone. And it's the same thing with your old creation. He's buried in the dirt and he's gone. He doesn't exist anymore. Until we bring him to life with our nonsense and our shenanigans. But you can step back into your new creation being through repentance. So your new creation person is much stronger, much more resilient, has much more power. He lives by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's He makes alive your mortal body. The, this physical man that's subject to death and destruction and all that kind of stuff is made alive by the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. This is not the same type of spirit that Jesus walked in. The same, I will say the same power of spirit that Jesus walked in on the earth even. It's greater than that because it overcame death. He was subject to death when he walked on the earth just like any other mortal man. So this spirit that raised him up is much more powerful. It has all, it's overcome even death. Amen. And so we have to remember that. See, the devil would like to play in our minds all day long and tell us, well, you can't do that. Yeah, 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 you're weak. Yeah. I remember when you didn't get hugged when you was little. That's what's wrong with you now. No, I don't remember. You talking about that corpse that's in the grave and you keep going looking at it trying to make me believe it's still with me? That person's dead to me. It's like the mafia says. <laughs> they got a point. He's dead to me. And pretty soon he's dead to everybody else. Amen. And so you walk in the power of the new creation. The enemy's always trying to raise the dead. Amen. Everything he does is a counterfeit and a lie. Don't let him raise your old dead man up and make you think it's got power. You know, people sell themselves short and sell short the power of God and the blood of Jesus that raised them up. It's because of that power that we are raised up. 
<clears throat> so God's amazing love. Uh, I'm just going to talk about one of the aspects of it because there's so many aspects to his love, but it all hinges for us um uh, the the foundational aspect of God's amazing love is the forgiveness of sins. Amen. It starts there. It must start there. It, you can't really experience God's love. Now you can be blessed of God. You can receive from God. I know many people who have lived for years off of the prayers of the righteous and, and get blessed. You know, you'll find sometimes people are too lazy to live for God will connect them and attach themselves to you so that they can always get prayers answered because they're too lazy to live right. You understand? So they can live on their own. I'm so thankful God gave us the mandate to teach people to pray for themselves. And I would always tell people if they lived in the city, one of the cities where we had our meetings, I'll tell them we are not a prayer service. There, You can call a, a ton of 800 hotline numbers if that's what you want. But we are a prayer ministry. We teach believers to pray, we teach believers to obey God, and we teach believers to fulfill the Great Commission. And that's that's our job to do. So our job is not to just be a servant to you and pray your prayers and pray and ask God to help your life, and you don't have to be responsible for anything. Because that's going to run out after a while. You know what I'm saying? God will get sick of that and say, "Uh uh-uh, no more. You know what I'm saying? And so we have to be careful uh, in in understanding God's ways and understanding his laws. There was a season when Moses, I mean, uh, intercession was all the children of Israel had to keep them close to God. They did not have the law. They did not, they had a covenant and, and, but as much covenant as they had, they didn't have the ability to obey it or to operate in it because the law hadn't been given yet. So when they came out with Moses, all they had was, was go to Moses with their needs and Moses would go to God and intercede for them. But there come a time when God said, no, I'm not, don't ask me nothing no more. To do nothing for them people no more. Because they could at least obey me in the small things. See, anybody can can respect God. When you see the awesome power of God, God follows you around every day you get up. There's a cloud for shade. You got an awning over your house every day so you don't burn up in the sun. And when it's cold in the desert at night, you got a fire over your head to keep you warm. Now you see that every day and you tell me you don't want to bend and worship him. Something wrong with you. So that's why God called them a stiff necked people. They don't even bow their heads in reverence to me. They keep their neck stiff and don't just look around and try to, you know, uh, complain about everything and not appreciate me and love me. Nah, don't ask me for nothing for them no more. Got me? And so especially after God gave Moses the law. Is every man now has to go to God for himself, being responsible for his own transgression and be responsible to obey and follow God. And it's not that hard. You just have to have a determination to do it. You have to have that in you that the Holy Spirit put in you. And that's the don't quit. And if the devil tells you quit, you ask him quit and do what? What else is there to do but follow God? 
Amen. That's what Peter said. You know, people started leaving him because he taught some things that they couldn't understand and they got scared of. I've been like that in God. You know, he started teaching me some things. And I said, well, God, I ain't sure I want all that. You know, <laughs> I just come on. I'm just along for the party. Party over here. Party. You know. So we all got to toughen up here and understand spiritual responsibility. But Peter said, well, where am I going to go? He says, you're the only one who's talking life around here. You can go find some religious church to go to, but you know, if, if you've been living off life, it's, you gonna sit up there and die. You understand what I'm saying? And so you have to be careful about things like that. You have to stay in life where God called you to be in life. Because there's so many places that look lively and look like life, but in inside that they're, they're just dead. There's no life to be had. So we have to stay with the life that God provides for us. So sin is a transgression of the law. We talked about Israel at some point. God made them responsible for their own sins. He made them responsible for their own complaining. You know, they they had an outbreak of serpent bites in the desert just from complaining. You got me? Complaining against Moses, complaining against God. You have to watch your words. And so God made a way for us to be able to be cured of all of that. And that is through the new birth. When you're a new creature, you don't have to sin with your mouth. You don't have to live in mental doubt and torment. You don't have to walk in fear and live apart from God. You can have fellowship with God, peace with all men, a love for humanity. You can live the Jesus kind of life. And that is amazing that he would he would put us into the family of his dear son just because he loves us. It doesn't matter what we've done, what past we had, what sins we had. If we will come to him in humility and repentance and confess those sins, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us from and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every single thing. He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care what anybody's done. He wants to set people free from from the tyranny of sin. Sin has torment. Sin has bondage. Sin's not once you you know your flesh will think it's a lot of fun until you get ensnared by it, and then after a while you you it just totally takes you downhill. Totally takes you downhill. And God is is very merciful. Um, you know I've witnessed it myself. I've seen people. Uh, God will offer them uh, a way of life with him. And they have these pet sins they refuse to get rid of. And I see how long-suffering God is with people like that sometimes. They'll go 5, 10, 15 years fornicating, running in and out of the church, or sitting right there on the front row and fornicating, and God still deal with them. You don't want to live like that. Don't live in that realm where God still deals with you. Live in the realm where you uh, uh, quickly confess. 
and stay over in the place where where you're you're allowing God to help you get over yourself. Do whatever you need to do to get free. You know, you'll see God disconnect people from from people who are wrong for them. And they want to run right back to him. I guess got to be, got to be, got to be friends, got to be friends. And then they wonder why, you know, I've been working on this for X number of years and my ministry has not taken off yet. My business ain't taken off yet. You ain't taken off yet. Because nothing can take off that you possess until you take off with God and stay over there with God. You know, God is very, very merciful. Even to his own disobedient children, he's merciful. But don't take his mercy for license. You know people who are backslidden, you stay away from them people. You know people who love sin, stay away from them. Don't give them your phone number. Don't give it. Well, they've been my friend forever. No, they're not. They're the devil's friend. Now give them back to the devil. Give them back. <laughs> Well, I'm praying for them. Yeah, you are. <laughs> if they want prayer, they can live right. Pray for themselves. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> You're not the head intercessor for the kingdom. Leave sin alone. Even if it's some of your pet friends, leave it alone. <clears throat> well, that's mean, Barb. Mm-mm, I mean to stay holy. That's that's the mean. I mean, I mean to live holy. You got me? Don't toy around with crazy people. And devil just loves to, you know, sometimes them people is on assignment, man. I know that much. Take them, somebody down with them. They're on the way down. They want to take somebody with them. So the devil likes that kind of nonsense. So if your sins have been forgiven, you have an obligation to God to live sin free. Amen. In your thoughts, in your life, in your words, in your associations. In the things that you support, either by word, by by time, financially, whatever, uh, you are obligated to stay free from sin. You've been washed clean. You don't want to dirty yourself up again. You know, I remember when we were little girls, my mother used to love to dress all four of us alike. I don't know how she found four dresses, but she always managed to. Amen. And we, she get us all dressed up and we sit on the couch. That's as far as you could go. You sat on the couch and she just felt so good. She got all her girls all cleaned up and your hair done too. Uh, all of them on the same day. And so we'd sit down and everybody would be clean until <laughs> somebody got a bright idea. <laughs> I blame it on Aunt Dewey's. somebody would get a bright idea and it was all over amen so when you're cleaned you have to be careful about what you dabble around in now somebody would say ma can we have some ice cream can we have some and i don't care you could have candy in a wrapper a sucker and put it in your mouth and believe it's gonna stay there and it wind up on your dress a sticky sucker what happened Uh, i got tired licking my sucker i put it down see so easy and then Paul talk about the sin that so easily besets us. 
Amen. So we have to be vigilant in these things. We have to have a heart committed to God. God, I don't care what it takes. I want to live right. I don't care what it takes. I want to live for you. I don't care what it takes. I want to live holy. I want to have a clear conscience. I want to have peace with myself and all men. All that kind of stuff. These things have to be vows that we take before God. You know, vows are good. They hold. They hold your soul in life. Because you are constantly being reminded by the Holy Spirit what you have told God you're going to do. And you don't deviate and you don't vary from it. Sometimes you need to to make a vow just to hold yourself to something that you and God have in common. Now, I'm I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. Uh, Some things are not life-threatening you know they're they're not earth-shattering but you have made a commitment to do those things and i think it's good to have that kind of relationship between you and god you know i don't care if if it's your money god I, i vow to you my time if it's if it's the way you dress or you know what you'll watch TV programs, things you don't watch. You, you know, vow to yourself that between you and God, God, I vow, like, like, uh, um, Job did. He says, I made a covenant with my eyes to not look at another woman. He's a married man. So he made a covenant with his eyes not to look with lust. I don't care if you're not married. You need to make a covenant with your eyes certain things you're not going to indulge in. Amen. Women make a covenant with your eyes that you're not going to keep going shopping and looking at a hundred dresses all day long. You understand what I'm saying? You need to vow some things to God to keep you holy and keep you connected to God all the time. There was a man, well, Avis's husband, before he, they were married, he, he said, he said, you know, he said, I, I've, I got saved. He said, "A, a lady, preacher at my job led me to the lord he said and i got saved he said and i i read in the bible about the tithe he said in in at that time the uh um automakers they were laying off this was like during the maybe late 80s or something like that and there were some big layoffs that came some places closed and all that ups and downs ups and downs and he said i told the lord he said i want to i want to be a tither but if if you will accept my tithe i want to make sure that i never have a layoff and i never lose my job and i can retire from here put some things before god and god honored that well he took him a while to find a church he saved his tithe he didn't touch it he set it aside put in a savings account he would visit churches and when he got to the church and god said uh, this is the one i want you to join he he gave his total tithe in his first giving at that church amen and and you can't tell me God doesn't honor that because his life was blessed that's where he met avis they got married, they have a child, they had a good life, they still have a good life. All of that happened because of a vow, not money, a vow. You got me? Keeping a vow. Because you know you can't buy anything with, with money from God. You can't buy anything with your tithe, but you can certainly dedicate it to God and not violate it 
And watch God prosper you if you keep your word. So I'm a firm believer in vowing to God. I think there are certain things that you need to hold yourself accountable to him in. Uh, you need, when I was married, I didn't let the sun go down on my anger after I got saved. Now, before I got saved, that brother might sleep with one eye open. If he's smart. Got a watcher in the middle of the night. <laughs> but I'm redeemed from the curse of being a, a wife with a knife. Amen. For the, for the curse of being a murderous, treasonous. <laughs> Amen. 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 But, but I just made that vow to God. I saw it in the word. It said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And then I said, God, maybe that's the problem here. Well, if that's the problem, I'm fixing it right now. I refuse to let the sun go down. Huh? It is. On my anger with him or anybody else. You know, you just fix things before the sun goes down. Amen? You humble yourself and you fix it. Not wait forever. Think you don't have to. Just because God didn't strike me dead, that means I don't have to do that part of the word. <laughs> or you assume you're okay with God. You do it anyway. Amen. Do it anyway. Well, I went to them apologizing. They didn't. That don't matter. Their reaction does not matter. You got to do the right thing. Amen. You know the power of truth, the effect it has on people. A lot of people don't want truth. They don't respect it, and they're not going to be moved by it. But you don't let that stop you from doing the right thing. This is something between you and God. It's not just something between you and people. This is what you do to stay in good standing with God. So this is how you show him that you appreciate his amazing love to you. You obey his commandments. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Amen. So that's how he checks us off for the day, so to speak, on the love factor. How many opportunities did you get to obey God today? And how many did you fulfill? Amen. So when we, when we were apart from God, amen, he loved us so much that he gave his son. John 3.16, we'll go there. That's where your amazing love in God starts. It starts here. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. The word gave means that he sacrificed his one and only son. You know, sometimes words they put in scripture, they do to pretty it up so it doesn't sound as, you know, um, stark or as, as bold and as it is, but he sacrificed his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, that eternal life starts the minute you confess Christ. You, you have eternal life in you now. Amen. Don't look at that as an insurance policy, fire insurance policy, end of life treatment. It's that, but it's so much more. See, the enemy has, has so so stolen revelation of, of God's word from his people. 
through tradition, through and many times through the way that we deal with people. Uh, I know when I first used to witness to people, I was always after them to get saved. Then after I started ministering and praying for the sick, I realized that the way to get people to know God is they don't know him. You're going to ask them to get saved and want to serve God and live for God and give up sin. And they don't know what he can do. So I began to pray for people. And I tell them, I say, are you born again? You know, you pray for them first, get them over into the place where they know God. They can expect something from God. And I'll say, are you born again? You ever been saved? You just, well, no. Wouldn't you like to? I mean, you can do this. You can be doing what I do for people. You understand? You don't have to be waiting for somebody to come by and pray for you. And so it, it got easier once I got into the fullness of what believers are to do when they minister. Amen. Even though I led a lot of people to the Lord when that was all that I knew. But after you know more about God's power, you can offer more things to people because God wants to, uh, he wants everybody well. He wants everybody having a good life, wants everybody to prosper, all of the above. And, and God knows how he's going to get people over into his kingdom. He just knows that. And we're just being servants here. We're just following the script in our hearts. Amen. God writes down a script for us to follow with everybody we meet, and we're just following his script. But he says that you would have eternal life, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. King James says, but that the world through him might be saved. Same thing. He didn't send Jesus to condemn. Now, Jesus was tested on this many times, that whether or not he would condemn people, every time the Pharisees came up to him, it was a challenge. Are you going to show mercy or are you going to condemn? If you notice, when Jesus ministered to people, he never asked anybody ahead of time if there was sin in their life. As a condition for anything he did for them. Fed 5,000 families. He never, never asked that. Amen. One of the reasons is that this scripture, he came to save, not condemn. And that word means eternally. So he didn't come with judgment. When Jesus ministered, the Bible says he was moved with not judgment, but he was moved with absolutely. So compassion, when compassion is moving you, you move with the compassion of God. Now, there have been times when I'd, I've asked people, I said, is there something that you need to confess that between you and God? But that's by unction of the Holy Spirit. That's not something you just go up and ask everybody. I'm not going to pray for you until you get this. this, this. I remember we had um, we had some visitors come our Saturday meeting, and uh, they were they didn't want to pray. And uh, I think whoever was praying with them was said, "Well, can you tell me what the problem is?" Well. I don't know if that young man over there has been in sin and I don't know what these people do. 
And so whoever it was said, well, this we have right here that you confess your sins before we pray. We all do that. And that wasn't good enough for her. You see what I'm saying? So people who condemn will take that with them. You got me? They don't even believe your sins are forgiven when you confess them. Think about it, folks. Many times we judge people based on a bunch of fictitious nonsense. If the blood of Jesus cannot forgive your sins when you sit there before you pray, what are any of us doing? You understand what I'm saying? I'm thinking to say, well, we don't know what you did either, you know, but we all go, we all go get straight before we pray, before you go into the throne room. And, and so these things are, you saw where Jesus healed a young man and the Pharisees asked him who was, who sinned, him or his parents, being the reason that he was born blind. We got people now that make a whole ministry off of generational curses where they tell people the reason that you don't have this, that, and that in your life is you, you had this and that and the general, generational curses as though the curse can keep you from being blessed by God after the blood's applied to your life. They had a better covenant than that under the old covenant. When Balaam came to, uh, uh, curse Israel, he he said, I can't curse what God has blessed. And they were under a covenant that wasn't as good as, not as good as this one that we have. Amen. And so we got to be careful about this sin condemnation. Many times people who condemn are condemned themselves because they don't understand the power of the blood to cleanse their own souls. So you project that the Bible says to him who's pure, everything's pure. To him who's darkened, forward, everything's that way. So you see out of the lens of your own mental condition, out of your own soul. Amen. And so it's, it's, if you're a pure hearted person, you don't, you're not suspicious of people. You're not fearful of people. They did this and they did, I know there's something wrong over there. They don't, you know what I'm saying? I mean, come on now. The Holy Ghost don't act like that. Amen. He's not crazy and judgmental and foolish and all that. He's discerning. Now he is discerning. You know, you have to flow with him and find out what he has for you and what he has to tell you. He's discerning, but he's also merciful. And that's the way Jesus always presented himself when they would say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on us. He showed up with mercy. Who show up to condemn people and say, well, you got leprosy because this, that, and that in your life. And if you get that straightened out, then now they were under that kind of covenant. The law was if you hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, do that which is right. But they could go to the priest and confess their sins and their leprosy would disappear. (laughs) All their sicknesses would disappear if they would uh, confess and get right and make the offering. You know what I'm saying? It always included an offering and a sacrifice of blood. But there were many people that just didn't bother with with keeping the law of Moses. And so that's why Jesus came, because he came to fulfill the law 
not do away with it, but fulfill it. But he also, what he did get rid of is the ordinances that were against us, the curse. So we're redeemed from the curse. We're not excused from it. We're bought out of the power of it when you accept the blood of Jesus. You know, you, you, you're not excused from the curse just automatically. You apply the blood of Jesus. If some things try to stick to your life and be stubborn against you, then you have to fight them off with the word of God. But you resist and you allow God's blood to cleanse you again. And that's amazing. Amen. That's amazing. We have repeat offenders who are pardoned over and over and over again. I'm one. Huh? You, you don't, you can't get in a court of law anywhere. You know, most judges will say, if you show up again in my courtroom, I'm going to give you the maximum. No court would give mercy to a repeat offender. Mercy is for a one-time thing in 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 man's court, in anybody, a lot of people's courts. Sometimes your parents' court mercy is a one or two-time thing. They get sick of your nonsense. Amen. Say, nah, uh, you gotta leave here. If you you gonna live like that, mm-mm, you disturbing you disturbing my inner peace now, because we're limited in our love. But God's love is unlimited. Amen. It's amazing. He has more confidence in us repenting and giving us another chance than he would just to cut us off and throw the book at us. Amen. He don't roll like that. Amen. He does not operate like that. And no child of God should operate like that. You know, there are some people, you know, that God put in my life to help them. And I get sick of helping them. I said, come on, God. Now this is, is enough. All this person needs to do is repent and get their heart right with you and they can, they wouldn't need so much help. You know what I'm saying? But he's long suffering. Amen. And so there's some things that God will, will cause us to lay down in order to imitate him. So somebody else can get to know the love of God. And where we think it should be over, he'll say, "Uh uh-uh, one more time. Amen? He'll do it. Because he knows he has to find somebody on this earth who could show his people his love. And show people his love, period. And that's what he wants to do. So you might have to stretch yourself out flat in order to please God. Because you can you know him. You have the ability to be long-suffering. You have the ability to be merciful. You have the ability for all of the above. And he will call on his people to do that. How do you think we're going to win the world to Christ? We have a, a great revival. It's not all on the Holy Spirit to pull people in. You know, he he can show you where to fish, but he still got to go through a human vessel who will preach the word of God and allow people to come into the kingdom of God. So God so loved the world. He said, whosoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Now, this is where your your little friends and you know that don't serve God. This is why they get mad at you. 
you know, when you say it might be in the workplace, it might be anywhere, you know, meet people in the street and something there. They're already angry at you when you say certain things. Now, when you mention the word, when you talk about prayer, when you talk about how you spend your time, how you spend your money, they get angry at you. It's because they are condemned already because they refuse to believe and give their hearts to Christ. So the sinner is going to stay stand apart from the believer because of that wall of partition that the blood has put down because of sin. They can't pass over from death unto life until they repent of their sins and receive Christ as their savior. And many times they'll want to they'll want to convince you that they're okay with God. Huh? I I remember asking somebody in the family, I think it was Pastor Shirley's uh, husband's family. I said, I see you born again, you saved. My mother goes, I ain't talking about your mama. Your mama can't get you into heaven. You're going to have to stand before Jesus by yourself. Well, I'm just telling you now, my mama is a member of his, uh uh-uh. This ain't, this ain't about, and I don't know if your mama saved, but she ain't here, you are. Are you saved? Well, I don't know what you mean. That's the question I want. That's, that's where the open door is. If they can ask you, or if they keep defending themselves, they're not ready yet. So you pray for them. Hmm? Same young man, took about 15 years, but he got ready. Uh huh. Yeah. I think it was Tony got a chance to pray with them and lead them to the Lord. They all get ready at some point. Amen. But they they are condemned. Their condemned people start making excuses for their condition instead of turning away from it. Amen. You think there's no help for you. That's when the excuses come out. Be a Christian that doesn't make excuses. Amen. That don't try, doesn't try to look for reasons why, you know, oh, I, I know it was wrong, but the reason I didn't, it doesn't matter. There is no reason for sin. There's only one remedy for sin. And that's confessing, turning away from it. Confessing. That's it. There's no excuse, no reason. You know, you can't go before God and look through his holy blood and start telling him why he, <laughs> why he did all this stuff. Huh? I didn't get enough hugs. I didn't get enough love. Well, I, my life was threatened. I felt my life was <laughs> You know, all this stuff. Uh, 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 uh. It might work down here. You might get away with it in man's court. But in God's court, the only thing that works is repentance and pleading the blood. Let the blood be your only plea. God, I'm guilty. I'm sorry. I'm, yep. Me again. I'm tired of coming here confessing, but here I am again. Because I know confessing is the only way back to you. I want to be your friend, God. I want to be on your side. I don't want to stand apart. I don't want to stand in the realm of condemnation. And so he says, whoever believes in him is is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not put their trust in the name of God's only son. So those who want to come out of condemnation must put their trust 
in the name of Jesus, where everything's concerned, where your personal life is concerned, where your eternal life is concerned, where your relationships are concerned, you've got to put your trust in him. If you, if you can't, then your own unbelief will condemn you. See what I'm saying? The fact that you don't, you're not willing to trust will cause condemnation to come upon you. So there are many times when we'll have a bad conscience about something because we don't really trust to do things God's way and trust that it will work out for our good. Even though it might be uncomfortable, even though it might be something we feel like we we shouldn't be the one to have to do this all the time. All that stuff. We still have to put our trust in him and believe it's going to turn out the right way. Uh, it, it was a real challenge for me um, after um, I was saved to not work. Um, you know, after I got my health back, I kind of understood I was to go, go, uh, I was to, to, to be a minister, but it was real hard not to you know, want my own quote-unquote job, my own paycheck. Now, most of you people won't relate to this, but this was something God instructed me to do. You got me? And so I was, the hardest thing for me was to ask my husband for what I needed financially. And to live within a budget that he set for us because he understood everything that we needed to do. It wasn't a two-person job. You know what I'm saying? Um, it was hard for me to obey God all the way down the line in certain things because I was accustomed to having my quote-unquote own money. And God began to, to show me, he said, he said, I don't want you working. Since I, what I have for you to do is going to take your full-time effort. It's going to take your full-time concentration. I don't want your mind split off with what some boss wants and all this kind of stuff. And, and he said, you, you won't be able to do what I've called you to do if you have all those distractions. And so I remember making that vow to God. I said, God, as long as I'm serving you, I will not work. And I can remember thinking sometimes, oh, I could use a little extra money out there, and it never worked out for me. Bam, bam, bam. Every door would close. Bam, bam, bam. It was boom, all the way down the line. Why? It was God's plan for my life. And it took me a while just to get accustomed to humbling myself and telling my husband, well, you know, I would like to have some money for blah, blah, blah. He said, and then one day he said, you don't have to tell me what you want, what you want it for. I said, there is a God. I've just seen a miracle. This tight man told me. Huh? On the other hand, I had to figure out how much I was going to get of yaya money. You know what I'm saying? Just for, for yaya's sake. Huh? <laughs> and and I did we had to live by faith. I we had to pray and agree on everything. It took us to a different level of living, but I'm thankful for that because it opened up 
more understanding of faith to me. I mean, it's amazing how when you don't have the freedom to just mad money through life, how much you will go to God and understand how to manage, how to budget, how to expect, what to pray for, all of the different things. And that knowledge of finances is necessary for a ministry. And I don't care whose finances you have to manage, you gotta know what you're doing as far as the word is concerned. And, and how to be trustworthy before God for every single penny that comes into your hands. And so it, it all fits together. That's all I'm saying. Everything that he plans for us fits together in his great plan for us so that we won't miss anything. But, but that condemnation thing, because you, you don't want to believe, God, I I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have to do it that way. I can go get my own job. I can go have my own. You'll never have your own nothing once you belong to Christ. It all belongs to Him. It's just a, an illusion. And so the, the condemnation, you know, when you're, or conviction when you're not doing things according to God's plan. But then when you step over into obedience, the relief and the freedom that you experience because you're obeying his word, that leaves an impression on you and you don't want to leave that place of peace, freedom, knowing everything's right between you and God. And when you do something and that feeling leaves you, then you know something's wrong, you got to fix it. Amen. Now, people who don't really know much word understand when they feel close to God and when they feel away from him. That's just something that's a um, that's a part of a relationship you have to cultivate. Uh, Anybody that you have relationship with, you know, parents with your children, you you know, when when something's not right between you and your kids, they know when something's not right between you. Same thing with husbands and wives. You can sense when when there's something not right. The way to fix it is not to go in anger and accusation. What's wrong with you? You know, you don't fix things like that. You go in humility and you go offering peace. I'm sorry, I'm just feeling something's not right. Please forgive me. I want things to be right between. Is there something that I can do? You know, is there something that I just want to apologize if it's something that's on me? You understand? And, and, and just let God open the door. You don't kick the door open and demand somebody feel right about you. You have to give it time. You have to give it opportunity. You have to put it before the Lord. God, you know, something's not right. And I, I just want to make things right. You know, don't be an investigator and want to go inspect them and pick them apart. That's not right. And so you let God put things back together. But I'm telling you, this condemnation will come because of unbelief. If you don't believe, you read the scripture and you look at it and you just glance over it and it starts glaring back at you and God begins to show this is something you need to fix. Amen. It's called the chastening of the Lord. Hebrews 12.6 tells us, those he love, he chastens. He just does. If you don't get it, you're illegitimate. You're trying to get your blessings not the right way. If you can't take discipline from God, there's something wrong. Amen. Hebrews, um, what did we say? 12.6. 
like I said, Hebrews 12, 6. Because, okay, uh, 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. And have you completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? And it says this, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And don't lose heart when he rebukes you or when he tells you you've got to correct something. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everybody he accepts as his son. He chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now, some of, some of you, uh, now I, I have a taste of that. In my upbringing, I remember, uh, and, and I remember my husband saying the same thing. He said every weekend he was an only child and he had, uh, some cousins and there were three, two boys and a girl in that family. And he said I would go over every weekend, um, uh, to Aunt Alma's and, you know, the, the nephews, you know, they they were his age. And he said, he said, and if one of us did bad, Aunt Alma would whip everybody. He said, I got it just like they did. Because if you don't do that, what you're letting your children know is there's an exception to the rule of discipline under your authority and under your house and under your roof. And so what happens sometimes, children who are not subject to your discipline become instigators and and problem problematic. And so once he got baptized with the belt, with the rest of the boys, everybody got along fine. And if he was the instigator, he got it. And if, but he said, if we made noise, everybody got it, especially boys, because boys are full of mischief sometimes. Sorry. <laughs> and it's not a prejudicial statement. It's just true. Amen. You know, most, most mothers, you know, if you know they're way playing somewhere, you know, well, I don't want to know what they're doing. You know, it's like, <laughs> They come home and they say, I don't want to know. I'm going to skip this one. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, they're just curious. You know, they they just have that about them. And they're kind of fearless in many ways. So kind of gets them into trouble. But everybody that came under his aunt's roof like that, that stayed overnight, especially all weekend, you couldn't stay here and be a troublemaker. And I can't whoop you and discipline you like my children. Amen. When I was growing up, all of the adults... In that neighborhood, if they watch kids, they would, they would discipline you in that, not corporal, not hitting you all the time, but they would correct you and tell you, I'm going to call your mom and tell her what you did. Amen. And so uh, you can't do that now because everybody's so hostile and angry and defensive over their bad kids because they got bad parents, most of them. Man, you got undisciplined, unbridled adults in the home. The kids are going to be the same way. And so they're very defensive now about everything as far as the children are concerned. So you can't really do that. But at that time, it was just Judeo-Christian mentality 
was that you chastened your children. You didn't allow them to run roughshod through life because, and you were sparing them from the wrath to come, really, because they're going to run into somebody that's not going to put up with it. Amen. So he says here, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens everybody he accepts as his son. So I just call it the baptism with the belt. You know, everybody gets that. When you're accepted as a son, you get that. You get that chastening. And he says, endure hardship as discipline because God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? And if you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate. But but you're, uh, um, let me think. But you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all, okay? And so what he's saying here is that if you go undisciplined throughout your Christian life, you will not receive your inheritance from God. You got me? You disqualify yourself by resisting the discipline and the chastening of God. Because he demands that we live holy, just like he is holy. He wants to have fellowship with us. And he can't have fellowship with us if we abide in sin. But if we confess our sins and turn away from them, then God is more than faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So God wants us not only to receive forgiveness, but to live the forgiven life. To live the discipline of the blood-washed life. That means you resist the temptation of the enemy. You stay on God's side. And and you allow God to make that new creation person flourish. Cause him to prosper. Cause him to receive his inheritance. Grow into the stature of Christ where he can handle the things that God has for him. All of that stuff. Isaiah 38 verse 17 I'm going to wish I had my King James in a minute. It says, surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. This is talking about going through uh, a trial. For in your love you kept me from the pit of destruction. So any, even though you may be going through difficult times, and I know some of us are, God promised us at the beginning of the year that we would all be in a test this year, twice. He says, you have put all my sins behind your back. Not just my back, but behind your back. So your God, your sin is not before God's eyes when he looks at you. When you're forgiven, they're behind his back. So he's not looking at what you did wrong. If you'll confess, it's worth it. It's worth humbling yourself to God so that he can look at you the way he looks at Jesus. Amen. He says, for the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. In other words, God will forgive you so that he will have people here who will lift him up and magnify him. He wants that to keep going. That's very valuable to God. The fact that he has people that represent him on earth, that's a major major reason he doesn't utterly cast us down. He'll clean us up, dust us off, put us on our feet, and we can start all over again. As though we never did anything wrong. Amen. 
we need to learn how to take God's uh, attitude about it. You know, ask God to give you that mindset of being cleansed all the time, not anything hindering the relationship between you and God, because we need that. Isaiah 49.15 shows you the amazing love of God. He says, can a mother forget the baby that she is nursing and have no compassion on the child that she has birthed? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Amen. So God has us in full remembrance all the time. I've heard people say things like, well, God's forgotten about me. No, you forgot about him. Because there's a way you need to find out what the way back is. See, some people who say that, I believe they know what the way back is, but they don't want to take it. And they don't want to seek it. Mm-hmm. People just disobey and disregard God and they rather live on the fringes of his covenant. You know, like the, the woman with the, the daughter that, you know, had the devils and she said, uh, even the dogs can get crumbs from the table. And there are tons of Christians that live like that. They don't live in full covenant relationship with God because in order to sit at the table with God you have to have his spirit you have to be obedient you have to have be blood washed and have the confidence to go boldly up to your place on the table and receive everything God has for you and there's some people that just really live off crumbs they never have that confidence in God that that reassurance that whatever they ask you know or or they'll Ask something and then diminish it because they don't think they deserve anything that looks like what the word says. Yeah, what the word says is too good, too big, and too wonderful. (laughs) But his amazing love will make it so that you'll be able to know that these things belong to you. Not because you're so smart and so wonderful and you do everything right and you win so many souls and yada, 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 yada. But because you take his word for it. A pure heart will take God's word. It really will. You, you find small children that know a little bit about the word. What they know, they're bold about it. They're confident about it. They'll say, you know what? I'm, as I remember it was shocked all of us. I don't know why young people shock us, especially when they've been sitting under the word like forever. But uh, I remember... Bianca was in school and she had some kind of run in, uh, she was in gym and had, couldn't stop herself fast enough and thought she's running into a wall, twisted her ankle, was on a crutch and all that. And, and so she, when she came that Sunday for prayer, she was, she came up to the altar and, and so I just told her, I said, well, BB, well, I prayed for her. I said, well, BB, stand up now. We're going to get on your foot. And she, Tapped it down and she said, I just knew if I got to church, I would get healed. You understand what I'm saying? You just, this is the, this is the way we're all supposed to live all the time. We're not supposed to live in delayed blessings because of. 
We're to live in the fullness of blessing because of the blood. Amen. Because of his amazing love and because of what he has done for us. He wants to give us the fullness of all things. Amen. Always. Amen. When you start ministering for people under a stronger anointing, God wants you to believe for immediate results. If you can believe for immediate for a total stranger, he wants you to believe for the immediate for yourself. Amen. We all fall short on that. That's that's a common thing with believers that that to think it'll take forever for certain things to to be cleared up and we'll suffer long with with the devil robbing us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh in instead of suffering long with with people that God wants us to to love and to to you know relate to. Ephesians chapter 2, I think it is. Starting in verse 3, it says, All of us who lived among them at one time, or all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order in that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us through Jesus Christ. That's a big mouthful. But God wanted so much to show us his love and his kindness through Christ that he elevated us up to sit in heavenly places above the devil's power, above the the fallen nature that is so common in the world uh, above everything that would try and pull us down back into the rudimentary life of the world and so he not only forgave us but he elevated us he seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus amen Whenever you get free from sin, you are automatically seated there. What makes you able to take authority over the enemy in your prayers and it be effective is this thing right here. Your position in the kingdom, your position in Christ and you being submitted to God and obedient. Now you jump over in the flesh. You can't, you can't box your way out of your own driveway. You know, people get some bad start happening and the enemy knows, you know, when he can snare people, it just kind of snowballs. You know, you get mad because your battery won't, car won't turn over fast and it's one thing after another. You need to break that cycle because you don't have to live like that because the enemy wants to ensnare you so your authority doesn't work. The last thing you think of is to pray. You start banging on everything and kicking everything and trying to make and saying bad words and 
Then you go to call somebody to nobody's home to help you, give you a jump or give you anything. Got to wait an hour for AAA and it's three hours. Why you think it's three hours? Because you're not seated where you're supposed to be. You're down low. Everybody ought to say amen. Everybody's guilty. Amen. True. Because you'll you'll continue to do that until you realize there's a different way. And you realize, you know what, God? Let's think about it sometimes. God, I had a really bad day today. Could I have stopped that cycle of one negative thing after another at some point? Could I have retrieved your mercy? Could I have retrieved your grace? Could I have retrieved your rescue? Could I have retrieved something? And if you'll be honest and get before God like that, he will deliver you out of years of bad behavior, failure, and nonsense because of not breaking that cycle that the enemy, once he gets your foot snared in, we just ride it out until we can't be mad no more usually. Go sit down somewhere and then, you know, no more, no more steam. <laughs> and then we just sit there and think about it. I know I went too far with this, uh, but you need to find out how to break that cycle because you can. Because the Bible says there's a way to escape from all temptation. Amen. With all temptation, he offers you a way of escape. God, where was my way of escape? Show it to me. I'm going to escape the next time because I refuse to live as a hockey puck for the devil all day long. Huh? It's true. You can do it. No, it's better than trying to make excuses for years of bad behavior that keeps repeating itself. Amen. Keeps repeating itself. You know, you see, I see young people in church and I look at them and, and they're always in some trouble with, with, you know, well, you know, I did this and I did that. You know, if you would say no to some of the company you keep, you understand, if you just would, just keep moving. Not have time, take them out of your speed dial, take them out of your phone. You understand what I'm saying? Just lose them. You could live for God. But most people are too insecure for life on their own. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? We gotta have some friends. We gotta have somebody. We gotta have some, something to do. You know, somebody to go somewhere with. All that kind of stuff. You start keeping company with God, but I mean for real. And see if you're lonely. I mean real lonely. Everybody likes a little company sometimes, but you don't have to have it. Don't have to have it. You don't have to have it. You just start wanting to have what God wants for you. No. I'm like, okay, church, when are we really going to start making Jesus our friend? When are we really going to, we really, really, really do that? When are we really going to do it for real? He's more company than you will ever need. 
He consumes everything. He makes everything in your life right. You be glad for no people. Because with people come issues. Issues, problems, all kind of nonsense. Not that you don't love people. There's a difference between love and dependence. Man can love anybody. But you have to love them in the Lord. God has to direct. He has to sanction everything in your life in order for you to live holy for Him. So, His, our little names are engraved on the palm of His hand. He makes His face to shine upon us. He's merciful to us. He's long-suffering with us in our faults, in the things that, that, you know, are not right about us. He still continues to love us. Come on, run a little bit longer. You can do this. I'm with you. Lean on me. You don't have to be a, a suffering saint down there. You just lean on me and understand what I have for you. He has adopted us. 1 John 3, 1. We have the spirit of adoption where we call him Abba, Father. I found that many people who use that term Abba do it because they're not sure they're adopted. Because the fruit in their life proves it. Hmm? 1 John 3, 1. Man. There's, there's like a little Abba cult of people. You know, is they find a little Greek word and they, because they don't fit in anywhere with the people of God, they have to project that they have a closer relationship with God because you call him God, I call him Abba. So they try to set themselves apart. Anytime you find people who want to set themselves apart from the body of Christ and other Christians and can't identify, we're a family. Why don't you feel you want to identify? See, when you're born again, you're born again into a family of God. When you try to exclusive yourself, set yourself, there's something wrong that you don't feel adopted. So you gotta start calling God something unique, different, something Greek, something exotic, as a way to compensate for your lack of feeling close to Him. You're out there somewhere. You'll find a lot among people that won't go to a church. They always call it, come up with these real weird names for God because they don't feel that family kinship with the body. They don't know how to fit in. And you'll probably find they've never know, understood how to fit in anywhere in their lives. And that thing is still bugging them, nagging them. They're attitudes, mentalities that are corrected by the washing of the water of the word, but you got to own it before you can get it washed out. 
Amen. And many times we don't own what we know belongs to us. Amen. And when I say belongs to us, our minds still have to be renewed. Yeah, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away, which means they're dead to you. It doesn't mean they didn't happen. And it doesn't mean that these devils won't follow you out of the world to try to get you to remember them all day long. But you have authority over all that when you stand in your new creation power. And so many times people won't own what they know they possess. If you know that you, you, you have a rejection mentality, you gotta own that and go to God with it and say, God, you know, help me to get my mind renewed so that I feel right as a member of the body of Christ, that I feel right as a person. Sometimes these things will, these, I can remember a racist spirit followed me around when I was a new Christian because God put me in a company of pretty much all white organizations so that he could train me for ministry. Well, I could go in there and say, well, uh, it's a racist bunch of people here and they ain't no good. And start accusing everybody. But I owned my racism. And I thought I wasn't racist, just like all the rest of these crazy racist people out here think they're not. You know, the ones who are accusing all the time are the guilty ones. That's a whole nother story. But I remember going to a foot washing. And the, I was the only black person there. And the woman was sitting across from me. I'd never been to foot washing before. And she sat across from me and she bent down and I just started crying. And, and, and I, because something inside me, when I saw the, the water and all that kind of stuff, something inside my mind said, I'm not going to wash a white woman's feet. So I had to own my racism. You understand what I'm saying? Own your stuff. You got me? Cause everybody's got stuff that follows them that gets lodged in their brain. And she didn't tell me to wash my feet. She started washing mine. And that's when the tears, repentance came. And I told her, I said, you know what? I said, I had this horrible thought that just came to me. And she just hugged me. She said, you know what? She said, I'm so thankful God allowed me to to share this with you. And, and we just shared some words and some scriptures. She said, you're accepted in the beloved of God. We've been praying for women like you to come in here for a long time that just love God and want to. We know God sent you here. And you're an answer to our prayers. You understand what I'm saying? You've got to own your stuff. You can't own somebody else's stuff. You gotta own yours. When you find out things and attitudes in you that don't line up with God's word and don't give you peace, you got to get that straight. You gotta confess that and God wash me clean, wash that out. Get me in the word where that's concerned so that I can be free of this because you made me free. Amen. So we have to understand the amazing part of God's love. He will get you free from everything that would hinder you and everything that, that would keep you from being close to him. Okay, we'll stop. Father, we thank you for your word and for understanding. 
Thank you for the great things that you're doing through your love for us. That's such a big thing, Lord. Love is such a big word. And we just want to explore and understand the greatness and vastness of your great love toward us. And we love you for that, Father. We bless you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. If anybody needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray.